I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Beth Kramer, author, editor, and director. Her new book is Why Didn't I Notice Her Before? A Memoir About Dying to Live. Who would have thought that the journey towards purpose and peace would be achieved through the teachings of cancer? That's what happened to Beth Kramer when she was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer. It shook her free from the prison of obsession and depression. Her memoir is an achingly beautiful story of a bright, wise, and vulnerable woman who can't shed her demons until she received a death sentence. We identify with her conflict, and as the words come rushing off the page, we find ourselves laughing and crying in the same sentence. She's highly recognized. She's a highly recognizable editorial work, includes campaigns for Clairol, Avon, Victoria's Secrets, uh, New York Rangers, and many more. Uh, she's also a member of the New York Women in Film and Television. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, Beth. Thanks so much. Well, it is true about your book. I laughed and I cried. And I was reading it on my iPhone, so it wasn't easy to read, but <laughs> uh, it is um, it is a page-turner. Uh, so, but I guess my first question is, are the, what's the significance of the title, Why Didn't I Notice Her Before? Okay, first of all, fantastic. I'm so glad that you enjoyed the book. That's great. Um, the, um, you know... I had other, it was a sort of a last second meme, um, somebody had recommended to me, it was, it's a sentence in, uh, one of my chapters, the last sentence in one of my chapters, so it, it has a literal, uh, foundation. Um, I did initially, you know, initially I wanted to call it, um, Dying to Live, which is the tagline, but, but I, I really love this title so much more, I'm, I'm glad it, it, it came about. Um, but literally, I was a cancer patient about three months after having a diagnosis, and I was curled up on the couch. Uh, I, my head was shaved, or at that point, my hair had fallen out, had a little beanie on, and uh, I wasn't feeling great. I was feeling exhausted, probably. And I was looking at a picture that had been taken only several months prior, and it was startling. I saw this picture. It was of myself, and I had this long golden brown hair, and I had this, like, sun-kissed face. It was a tan. It was summer. Um, I had this big smile, and I, I just looked really healthy, and I looked happy. Um, and I, I thought to myself, why didn't I ever notice her before? You know, like, what happened? <laughs> you know? Well, it, it, you know, you say that. So, it's interesting because, you know, uh, I'm a baby boomer, not having been diagnosed with cancer, but I was looking at photographs of myself 10 or 15 years ago, and that's exactly what I thought. Why didn't I notice you before with my long hair and, um, you know, perfect skin? And so I, there was sort of an, I, yeah. you know, identifying it's with what shame. you said. It's such it a shame. It's such a shame. It is a shame. Right? I mean, they, yeah. they, you know, and I'm, I mean, I'm not, youth is wasted on the young. Maybe that's, I don't, maybe that's true, but I think it just says so much about how we're so hard on ourselves and like, yeah. we don't notice how much we have going on when we have it going on, you know? Yeah. Well, let's go back to, because August 2017, you were diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer, and it was a big surprise, because that wasn't, yeah. you weren't going to the doctor to get, for a cancer diagnosis. So what happened? Correct. Yeah, it was actually September, so I had been on a, um, my son wanted to go on a trip to see the solar eclipse of 2017, and so we drove across country, well, we actually drove to Tennessee, um, to Nashville, to see it, and um, I came home, 
And I was starting to actually get a little, like, feeling of ennui, a little depression, and I had gone off my antidepressants, uh, um, I don't know, several months prior. So I said, you know, maybe I should take them again without calling a doctor. And I took some um, expired medication, and I ended up with heartburn. And I thought, well, I wonder if that has anything to do with that. That's so strange. And typically I don't, like, rush to the doctor if, if I'm feeling any ailment. You know, I tend to just be like, oh, it's going to go away. But for some reason, the heartburn was so bad that I, I called a um, gastro and, and went. And it uh, turned out that was not my problem, you know. <laughs> I didn't have heartburn. I had cancer. And it was really aggressive and advanced, and um, there were no signs. Yeah, that was my next question. No, no signs at all. To And I guess that's one of the problems, or that's one, why ovarian cancer is diagnosed yeah. later and it's usually metastasized, right? Because there are yeah. no symptoms? Yeah, they call it the silent yeah. killer. It sounds like a really horror film. Horrible but name, I, yeah. It's a horrible name. The, you know, looking back, there's one sign, but who would have thought? It wasn't, it wasn't like something that you would necessarily say, this is a problem I'm going to take to a doctor. Um, I had a bloated stomach. I had a bloated belly, and I thought I was going through menopause, or um, I just had a little weight gain in my belly, and I'm pretty petite. So uh, it, it's pretty funny, and I talk about it in the book, how, you know, over the summer I'd wear a bikini, and my little belly would show, and people polite. They're not going to say anything about it. It wasn't horrible, but it was a belly. You know, it was kind of cute. And, but I always thought about it. I was like, God, that's so weird. What a, you know, it's so strange. And it had been with me for a while. And so to, to once they said, you know, once I read that as a sign and they said you have, like, this tumor in your stomach, I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> that belly. <laughs> it was like. That's what it was. Yeah, How old were you? I was bloated. Yeah. And, okay, so it's the, your journey or what, it starts there or everything changes. And I think you just mentioned it a few, couple minutes ago, but you were taking uh, medication for depression because in the book you talk about well depression was always my issue and depression runs in my family cancer doesn't run in my family but depression does and that's what I've been struggling with and being you know anxious and obsessed with a lot of different things so but then everything changes once you're diagnosed with cancer oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah, no, it, yeah depression and anxiety that was definitely my issue and um the irony of the whole story is that when I heard those three words, you have cancer, I, just, I had clarity. It was instantaneous. And I had been searching for clarity for, I'd say, almost seven years. I mean, everywhere. I was searching everywhere in the most unlikely places, things I'd never even heard of, um, you know, just sort of mind-body treatments. And I couldn't get out of it. I was just looping. And so I hate when, like, when I think I, people ask me, you know, well, what, do, what would you tell people? Do you have advice? I'm like, well, you know, do anything you can. Claw your way out of that depression and that looping and just recognize, you know, how great things can be. It's not, not realistic. It's not always possible. Um, and it could have been a number of things that woke me up, but it turned out it was, it was this horrible life-threatening um, disease but it, 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 it did. It brought me out of my depression, and um, it, it gave me a second chance in many ways. But your depression, and just sticking with that for a few minutes, is that mm. you had had an experience of, you had an abortion, and mm. what, seven years before you were diagnosed with the ovarian cancer, but that right. was something you had struggled with. You never really were able to... What's the just to be able to accept it, I guess, and yeah. accept that choice or that decision. So, 
Yeah, talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't. And I, I spent so long trying to fix it, you know, uh, as if it could be fixed. And um, I really, it was a regret. It, it, it just shook my world. It, it, it really um, untethered me. And I, I couldn't get back to the person that I was. I, You know, I thought... I, you know, I was pretty independent. I had all these aspirations. I had a beautiful, have a beautiful son and a beautiful husband. But when I had that loss, I just questioned myself. I questioned all my choices and my choices for the future. I, I just lost trust in myself, and I gave up on myself in a very big way. And it was, just became all-encompassing. Um, so through the, the termination, I just, I felt like I'd given, like, there was so much more love that I could have given and received, and I couldn't picture a future without it. Like, I just so irrevocably just, like, damaged my life somehow. And I'm, I'm like, look, I'm all, still have a, you know, a woman's right to choose. I'm very, you know, <laughs> I stand yep. behind that. So I don't want to make, give anybody the impression that, that that's not who I am or how I feel. Uh, but for me personally, yeah, it, it rocked my world, and I, and I spent a very good long time punishing myself. Including trying to get pregnant again. Yes, I did. I did. Um, and I had, I've never been so ambivalent, strangely enough, you know, so I would go and try. I um, was going through IVF and I was using an egg donor. I was in all kinds of, uh, they didn't have to be crazy, but I made them crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like it was all wrapped up in my neurosis, and and I'd go to bed thinking I'm going to do this. I'm going to I'm going to go through all the and it's laborious. It's a very difficult thing to to go through. To put your body through. And I'd go for it, and then I'd stop abruptly, um, and then I would do it again, and then I'd stop abruptly. So I hadn't. I just had. I I really didn't have a very clear vision of what it was that I was trying to fix or what I wanted. I just knew I made a mistake and thought I was going to fall off the edge of the earth unless I had another kid. You know. And I guess in the end, uh, it's towards the end of your book, you talk about that because you, you your son Noah, um, mm-hmm. that, that really it was more of a Noah that you wanted, that he's really, I mean, that all the, all, every, yeah. everything that, yeah. And, um, yeah, he's a thousand people wrapped up into one. He, he's yeah. a really in, incredible, uh, intelligent, funny, witty, like uh, sensitive, deep person. So you're diagnosed with cancer, you're, and and you, you got husband, Todd, son, yep. mother, sisters. You have a lot of support, mm. but a lot mm. of people who are going through a, a lot of pain also experiencing that diagnosis. But um, yeah, yeah. And so, in terms of the support, because you kind of did it in a different way, you decided to have your surgery at Hopkins, say rather than Memorial Sloan Kettering, and you are in New York, or in the New Paltz, I guess. Um, but, right, no. Yeah. So you chose your sisters and your mother to take care of you at the hospital, and yeah. not necessarily your husband, but he took care of your son. Okay. I've yeah. said enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a story of little women revisited. It, yeah. <laughs> um, my, my sisters and my mom, they're, they're such wonderful characters. I mean, they, they truly are amazing. I didn't have a choice in many ways. <laughs> they scooped me up. And, you know, I'm close to, to Sloan Kettering, but if I did it there, I would have had four women in my home sleeping in bed with me. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they're very protective, and, and they're so wonderful. And um, 
But that could have been a nightmare in and of itself. (laughs) It it would have it's been a little complicated, you yeah. know. And and also, I didn't want my life being lived out, this particular life, this cancer life being lived out in front of um, my son and my husband. You know, nobody knows me better than my sisters. I mean, I, I like to think I share a lot with my husband. We know each other very well and our foibles and all that. But But there's nothing like sisters. And I get so many comments, actually, from readers about how remarkable they, our bond is and how, how they're moved by our relationship. And, and it's true. We're just, we're, we're very tight knit. And it was a good choice. I mean, I didn't think, you know, I had questions. Oh, John Hopkins, it's not really, am I having the best care? Is it the best doctors? But it's not, it wasn't about that. You'll always hear, um, you know, your, your treatment and your response to treatment is always best when you're surrounded by those that love you and care for you. And, and they were able to do it in a different way than my, my husband would, who, who basically always treated me like I didn't have cancer. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'd come home, I'd do the dishes, you know, I'd, in a good way. I don't mean to, I'm, that's not like a negative thing, but, you know, they're, um, I don't know, they just really took care of me. And I'm the youngest, and um, I, they, they could see me in that way, and I didn't have to pretend that I was feeling great if I weren't. Yeah, well, they're all they're women too. They oh yeah, uh, they they have ovaries. They understand, but they, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, they're great. I, I was just thinking, you know, the other day I did a reading. Um, at my sister hosted this reading, and I had a lot of people there. Um, it's a pretty big audience, and and it was such a family affair. You know, down to them telling me, helping me to figure out which stories I should read, and and then at the end when they had questions, they were like the ones fielding the answer. You know, fielding the questions. And I think they're very much a big part of the book, and um, they they I, I I just feel very lucky. I think they like they like it, and and they appreciate it, and um, they have every right to take some ownership over it because they were such a big part of it. Beth, what about when you were diagnosed? Because, and you asked some, you know, straightforward questions like, how long do I have to live? Um, because I know that all my friends, and there are many and colleagues who have been diagnosed with cancer, I mean, that's the first question they ask. And that's kind of sometimes the first question that doctors dodge. They don't really want to say, even though they may have an idea. So you really pressed it. And, you know, what in terms of... I did. You know, you know, I always heard stories where where doctors told people, oh, you only have six months to live, and then they go and change hospitals. So I started to to wonder if actually there was was some sort of new um, law or, you know, something where they they weren't allowed to tell you because they would sort of dodge it, and and understandably so. I mean, how how would you, how do you really know? Um, So many things can happen. Um, I don't know. You know, I think when people first get diagnosed, I think a lot of people, they go right to fear and anger. And I I didn't. I had this strange, con- I don't know. I was really curious about it. I was really curious about the cancer. And um, I did want to know. I'm not even sure why, except for that it gave me a certain, like, sense of urgency of, you know, God, well, if I don't have a long time to live, I can stop worrying about all the things that, you know, all the expectations I hold for myself and and all this fear that I've been, you know, having. And I no longer have to regret the abortion because it was never meant to be. And look what would have happened. Um, I think if I'm answering the the question the way you intended it, it's, it's, I wanted to just live. And I wanted, I wanted to hear almost like, you don't have a lot of time, you might as well just live, you know, and live happy. And, and, and be in the moment. Um, 
it was just sort of a reminder. And, and cancer was that, for, is that for me all the time now. It, it's, it's, the, it's the threat. It's the reminder that um, this is the moment. Do you wake up every morning and think this is the moment? This is, I mean, from the moment that you wake up? No, I need to li- no, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> um, well, you know, at first it was easier and, and because it felt like that. But now the longer I live, you know, and I'm like outlasting myself already, it's like I start to feel myself, start to, like, the thoughts of having to, you know, write that next book or, or make the right choice. Um, it's starting to trickle back in, and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Take, read, maybe you should reread your book. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm just, li- I'm just living, but I don't wake up with the fear and the anxiety I used to have. That, that's no longer there, and that's remarkable to me. I mean, with the, just with the depression before the cancer, I would wake up and, and have moments of like, how, how am I going to get through this day? Like, you know, just put one step forward, you know, in front of the other. And that really has vanished, I have to say. So everything has evolved. It's, it seems, it sounds like anyway, it's it, your responses, the changes in how you're responding evolve. And as you say, the longer you live, um, it becomes a memoir about dying to live, as you said in, in yeah, the title I'll, of the book, yeah, right? At first, I wasn't ready to say that. That's for sure. Yeah. Like, I didn't... At first, like the first year, I battled, like, want, it, it sounds strange, and I felt guilty for it, because you said before, like, you know, you have so many family members that love you, and they were feeling this loss, too, and, and, and the threat of, of this illness, and uh, how scary it was. I almost, you know, I feel guilty for saying, I held on to it, like, I wasn't ready to have a clean CAT scan, almost as if, like, I knew it would happen, you know, it was just a matter of time, um, but I didn't, I wasn't ready, because I... I didn't feel like I'd learned my lessons yet. Like, I didn't trust that this new spirituality was real. Like, it, wouldn't it be just moments later that I'd slip back into the old habits that I had if I was suddenly free and, you know, and cured of this illness? It's like every, every transfusion I go to is like, yep, you see, you deserve this. Or, or and, yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like... Um, I felt a little bad for holding on to the illness as if it, it, as it was a teacher. Well, you're, you, I mean, just obviously having read the book and you are, um, you're hard on yourself. You, yeah. uh, you have, <laughs> you, yeah, you I've somehow there's, yeah, you deserve this punishment or you deserve to at least have to struggle with it or, or, you know, whatever, but, um, you're doing it. What about, your son, because I mean, he's he's obviously the love of your life, and yeah, um, yeah. and his ability because he's young. He's well, now, I guess, he's gone through puberty, or he's he was, he's going through. He, he he's, he's just turned fifteen, um, and 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 going through puberty. Um, he he's he's funny. I mean, he's always been very strong, but I laugh because. Um, and he is. He's like a love. The book is like a love letter to my son, and he wanted to read it so bad. So he's a reluctant reader, and um, he, he just really has always struggled with reading. And he, um, so you know, whenever I suggest read a book, it, it's like forget about it. But this book, I mean, there was gonna, if there was going to be one book the kid was going to read, it was going to be this book. And you know, there's a lot of dark, dark things in it, and, and that uh, things that it wasn't ready to tell him until he was 21. If ever, you know, the abortion being one of them, 
you know, you're a single kid and you could have had a sibling and, you know, whatever, uh, that, and, and, and just feeling depressed all those years while he was a child. There's guilt in that for me, um, you know, as if he weren't enough. And so when I finished the book, and all along he's thinking, I can't wait to read this book, it's something she's going to allow me to read. And, of course, there's no way to keep a child or read, you know, somebody reading a book. It's in print. So, he, so uh, I have to sit him down and tell him about these things that are in the book before it comes out. And I'm worrying about it. I'm like, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? How am I going to tell my son these, these things that are, that are private? But, he, but he's going to know, and I don't want him finding it out through, through somebody else. So I, finally, I sit him down, and, and we, I tell him about the abortion. And for some reason he goes, oh, I knew it. You know, he has, like, this second, this like sense of things that go on, whether it's because I told him or he just is into it. But anyway, so I, I tell him about that, and we laugh, we cry first, and then, and then we have some laughs, and then he tells me how happy he is, that he's the only child in our lives, and how special our, our connection is, the three of us, my husband and him. And, um, and so then the book comes out, and I'm expecting, the book's hanging around the house, I'm expecting him to pick it up, he could read it. A couple weeks go by, he hasn't read it, and then one night he picks it up and he goes through the, um, he goes through the, the whatever, the, the contents of the book, and he sees the chapter called Sex. He goes right to that chapter, <laughs> reads Who that wouldn't? chapter, yep. puts the book down, and that's the, that's, that's the end of it. <laughs> he hasn't <laughs> read the book, so I'm thinking, what? Oh, I could have waited till he was 21, you know? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's a story. Uh, religion. I'm going to ask you about that because I was going through, I was reading your on your Facebook page and just looking at all your photos and stuff. And one of the things, I think one comment that I saw at the bottom was, uh, I found interesting, I guess. She, she goes, well, you didn't take a religious, you didn't go the religious route or something like that. And, and that was a disappointment. So, and you didn't, um, you're, Jewish, but not religious, religious, but tradition is important. And so it seems, and that I guess is what happened. But, um, because a lot of people do, they get back into religion, even if they aren't religious or they were religious, but that's not something it seems to me that is, that hasn't taken over or that's not been part, an integral part of how you've responded or reacted or been living your life after the diagnosis. Yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't gravitated to that. I, I, I thought I would gravitate towards Buddhism. Um, you know, I thought I would like seek out a lot more spirituality. And I, uh, you know, like I think there's a lot of there's something in me inherently that feels Jewish. I mean, being Jewish is important to me. Um, it ties me to family and grounds me with certain with holidays and and. And expectations are just the way we, we sort of live our lives, I guess. Um, certain morals, even, uh, virtues. But, um, no, you know, and I don't know, I'm not on my deathbed, you know? It's like, it, it, when I get really close to death, when, when, it, when it comes time that I have to say goodbye, and I, um, I, I wonder what I'll need. I don't know exactly what I'll need. But, but there's something I wanted to pass down to my son, certainly as far as Judaism goes, because it's a place of home. You know, it's a, it's, I, I don't know, it, 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 it reminds me of home. It reminds me of my family, and um, it brings me close to them. And so I want my son to be 
part of that and have that same feeling about Judaism. But yeah, I guess in, in, as far as my seeking um, acceptance in death and dying and having cancer, I, I, I haven't gone towards uh, any particular, into my religion for, for the answers. Yeah. It, well, and Judaism doesn't seems, have a lot of answers. They just have a lot of no, questions. we don't have, as a, uh, I'm also Jewish, but the afterlife and all that stuff in heaven and hell, we don't really get into that. It's in the net. We, Live in the present, but um, yeah, I religion. It seems to me you, you could substitute the word family. That's really what it's all about. Um, or um, yeah, we only yeah, yeah we only have a couple minutes left. I have to say that it's, uh, your book is so honest, and it it's just it's a I I do recommend the book. Uh, um, you can get it at bookstores everywhere uh we only have a couple minutes left so give us some yeah. websites yeah, you know amazon to, yeah. has been like become become the go-to place i don't know how i feel about that but it's definitely on amazon and barnes and noble um and uh, you know in kindle and 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 uh paperback okay so what words of do you have you know a minute left um yeah. Let's have a closing statement. What would you say to us? I mean, okay, this, yeah. <laughs> so it's my heart. That's always that's yeah. always the hardest question. Yeah, um, I know. You know, I, I I think it's to take chances. Um, you know, I stopped taking chances. I was second guessing my my own instincts all the time, and I wasn't paying attention to the signs in life, which were like plentiful. There seems mm-hmm. to be so many signs like all the time around us, and I think it's to pay attention and and. Mostly, I think it really helps a whole lot if you can accept that things happen for a reason. Um, I mean, had I only done that seven years prior, you know, didn't seem like an opportunity. But if you can accept that things happen for a reason and just move on, and that can help you stay in the moment. Yeah, that's well said. Uh, things do happen for a reason. I think that in the other part of what you're saying is really stay in the, pay attention, be aware. That's what I got from your book. Be aware of what's happening now. Just in all arenas of your life, stop worrying about oh, yeah. what's yeah, no, going to happen. Not just can- it's yeah, not just a cancer book, as I say. You know, yeah, not no, at all. Yeah, it's not just. Well, you don't know what's going to happen in the future anyway. But we spend a no, lot of time. You know, that's funny because nobody does, right? I don't even know right. as a writer, so we're all living it. <laughs> it to be a surprise it's, to me. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, Beth. Beth Kramer. Why didn't I notice her before? Her new book, a memoir about dying to live. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking with you. Great to talk to you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 